the conversations that the next generation are having, the things they care about, whether it's social justice, the environment, reconciliation. None of this changes the gospel, but if we think we can be presenting the gospel in the same way on the assumption that people have the same background and are asking the same questions they always have, I think we're missing the point. And we're not actually living like the New Testament church did, which was a very fluid movement that understood the context. Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Shalane, and we're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. Matt Miles is with me today, and he serves as the executive director at Jesus Collective, a growing relational network of churches and leaders with a vision to unite, equip, and amplify a Jesus-centered movement. He's passionate about advancing the kingdom, growing disciples, and giving more visibility to the radically life-giving and life-changing Jesus-centered way. Prior to Jesus Collective, Matt worked in the financial services industry where he gained experience leading teams, solving complex problems, and developing vision and strategy. His first car was a Ford Mustang, and his favorite concert is a toss-up between Harry Connick Jr., U2, and Neil Finn. Wow, Matt, if that doesn't uh, show some variety and of appreciation <laughs> in your life, <laughs> that's awesome. Trying to please well, a lot of people there with the concert references, right? you got to be you, careful. It's controversial. That's for sure. You covered a wide range. So welcome. Thanks for joining us today, Matt. Thank you. I feel honored to be here. It's great to uh, it's great to talk, Shalene. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Matt, can you just start by answering our season two question? What does it mean to you to thrive? That is such a good question at any time. I feel like in the season I'm in personally, the answer is, is maybe one that some would expect, maybe not. I feel like as a Jesus follower, interestingly enough, the closer we get to the end of ourselves, the more we realize our desperate need for him. If we go right back to the Beatitudes, the more we realize we are the poor in spirit, we are the broken, the more we embrace our mourning, our thirst for justice. The closer we get to that realization of our own limitation, the closer we are to the front door of the kingdom and the closer we are to Jesus embrace saying, yeah, I know that's why I'm here and I'll fill you with my strength. So I really believe deep in my bones, especially in this season for me personally and for Jesus collective and the circles that I'm in, that's actually what it means to thrive as a Jesus follower is to be Mm -hmm. so aware of our desperate need for him. And then that being immediately met by the hope that that's not the end of the story, but Jesus is going to fill us with his strength and give us a hope that we can't muster up on our own through self-help. Mm. That's actually, ironically, the, the life of a thriving Jesus follower is living in that reality of our desperate need for him. And then we just become released to love, released to experience true freedom from our own need to be right and in control. Mm. And that That to me is now we're really talking about thriving versus, hey, everything looks good on the surface. I got my life in order. I got my ducks in a row. You know, those things may or may not be the case and that's fine. But real thriving, I think, is just that that sense of our desperate need for Jesus that liberates us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that that it's that paradox of brokenness and hope all in one. Yeah. Yeah. You named it. That's the journey. I think that's the journey of a, of a Christ follower right there. Absolutely. Yeah. And Christ follower you are. You are also connected with and leading the Jesus Collective. Would you just share a little bit about that? I'm not sure that all of our listeners will be familiar with the Jesus Collective. 
Yeah, I'd be happy to. You know, for years, the church that I've come up in Ontario just been just been feeling so much questions and input from leaders and churches and Christians around the world saying, hey, like this idea of putting Jesus at the center of everything, it changes the game. And I want to be around more people who want to learn and discover and practice how that affects us personally, how that affects our faith, how that affects our leadership, how that affects our churches and the church of the future. Where can we go to do that together and Mm -hmm. to be resourced well and to be equipped for ministry in an increasingly post-Christian context where some of our tools and our paradigms aren't mapping to the reality of today, even if the gospel never changes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Jesus Collective, there's a lot of ways to describe it, but essentially it's an experiment in asking what difference does it make to place Jesus at the center of everything? Hmm. And how does that change, like I said, our faith, our leadership, the future of the church, our ministries? And so functionally, it's a community of people and churches that are rallied around that principle, even in our differences, being united around the concept of Jesus. We do things from leadership formation and training and development to ongoing hubs for partners that are Leaders, leaders in ministry or the marketplace that want to grow together and be working on missional and theological challenges. But essentially, our, our mission and our dream is really to help more leaders form themselves to be more Jesus-centered, more churches form themselves to be more Jesus-centered so that we can transform the communities where we are mm. with the love of Jesus in an increasingly post-Christian world. So there's lots of ways we could describe who we are, but that hopefully gives your listeners just a bit of a taste of, of mm-hmm. why we started and what our core question is and what we look like functionally in some ways. On a practical note, Matt, you mentioned there's a need for some paradigm shifts and and approaching ministry perhaps in a different way. Can you just give a practical example of something that our listeners might be able to relate to? Yeah, I mean, I, there's lots of ways we could talk about that. I'll jump into just a real world for illustration sure. of that. You know, I was talking with someone just last week we were talking about how things have changed. And I was referencing the types of questions that people like my parents or my grandparents might have been asking in post-war North Mm. America Mm -hmm. in the 1950s and reasons why certain presentations of the gospel might have really resonated at that time when death and eternity and morality were, you know, on people's minds and hearts. And we were juxtaposing that with The reality of my daughter's lived experience today, Hmm. where, you know, back in the 50s, not only was that the cultural reality, but, you know, everyone would have sort of understood what church was, whether they were faithfully a part of one or not. There was a Mm -hmm. cultural dynamic and expectation uh, Mm -hmm. in Canada, certainly in the States, that that was part of that was part of what it meant to live Mm -hmm. here and to, you know, to exist here. Fast forward to my daughter's life. If as we have before, were to ask one of her friends or several of her friends, um, or if she asked her friends if they know what the Bible is or who Jesus is, there's 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 not a, a framework or a reference point for that the way that there was previously. Right. And not only that, but the conversations that the next generation are having, the things they care about, whether it's social justice, the environment, right. reconciliation, none of this changes the gospel. But if we think we can be presenting the gospel in the same way on the assumption that people have the same background and are asking the same questions they always have, I think we're missing the point. And we're not actually living like the New Testament church did, which was a very fluid movement that understood the context within which it was operating. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I mean, is the walls of Christendom have crumbled 
And now we're left with this beautiful opportunity of a blank slate, which is a Mm. good thing. Mm-hmm. But it requires new imagination and new tools to equip ourselves to engage with an increasingly secular culture, which we should be excited about, but it it's, it's it requires work. So that's that's kind of what I'm getting at with some of that language, Shalene, is I think there's an undeniable sea change mm-hmm. happening around us, and, and we need to be prepared and excited about addressing it as a church. Mm-hmm. So as we consider the name of this podcast, Ending Poverty Together, poverty has changed over the years as well. And there's a new, perhaps different approach that the Christian church needs to take when we're thinking about poverty. And yet there's probably some pieces that have not changed. When you think about living a life that is centering on Jesus, what difference does that make when it comes to caring for the poor? Yeah, such an important question. When we talk about centering on Jesus, we tend to describe it in a few ways. First of all, it's starting with a conception of God that looks like Jesus. And that's just taking Jesus at his own word. He said, when you're looking at me, you're looking at the mm-hmm. one who sent me. I'm the exact representation of the Father. So we should have no confusion on that, that God looks like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, then it becomes a question of, okay, well, what does Jesus look like then? How does mm-hmm. he spend his time? What does he care about? And lo and behold, we find answers that are so relevant to this question. We find a God that walked with and lowered himself and gave up his power to put it under us instead of over us Hmm. to journey with and go towards the poor, the broken, the marginalized, to care for them, to heal them, to actually not just treat them as an afterthought, but to create space like in the parable in Luke 14. Like these are the people I want to invite to my banquet. Like I'm not just tolerating them. This is a priority of what it means to be a follower of mine, is to create a space that sees and embraces and seeks out the poor and the marginalized and, in a broader sense, justice for for all. But if we don't start with a conception of God that actually looks like that, all of a sudden we head down a trajectory where we start to justify entirely different behaviors that are rooted in self-preservation and Mm -hmm. a a misaligned understanding of what freedom really means and all these things. Mm -hmm. So I think it starts there. It starts with our conception of God looking like Jesus. And it also means that the way we interpret scripture is through the lens of Jesus. So again, we're not treating scripture like a flat book where we just pick and choose things out of context to justify a particular agenda we have. We're centering on and filtering through the life and teaching of Jesus, which renders all of scripture important and useful and beautiful and awesome. And we love it, but it changes the way we look at it and interpret it. And again, it leads us back to saying then if we're interpreting scripture through Jesus, we can't help but see how the new covenant narrative is aligned with an emphasis on loving, caring for the poor in our midst and seeking justice and mercy. And so lastly, and these are not mutually exclusive thoughts, but and I've kind of already been touching on this, the difference it makes is that we take his teaching seriously in our own lives too. So it doesn't just become a matter of having good theology or a good scriptural hermeneutic. Mm -hmm. It means when we're Jesus-centered as it relates to caring for the poor in this question, it means that we take the Sermon on the Mount seriously. We take Jesus' teaching seriously in terms of how we live. And our view on eternity isn't one where 
well, we've got our fire insurance policy, so we'll just wait it out. No, he's calling us to a life now that reflects his teaching. The Great Commission doesn't say, go teach everyone all the good thoughts. It says, teach them to obey what I've commanded. Mm -hmm. And so it means that we take this conception of God and our interpretation of scripture and apply it. We live it out through the teaching of Jesus in our life with the power of the Holy Spirit, because we can't do that on our own. And then we start to walk in ways that actually use our time, energy, resources to, to bring the poor in, to love, to care for one another, to seek justice. So, mm-hmm. so those, are, those are some starter thoughts from uh, yep. Shalane on what I think it, the difference it makes to center on Jesus in this conversation. Yeah. Matt, one of the things that we often talk about at Food for the Hungry is that poverty is rooted in broken relationships. And so that mm. broken relationship with God, with self, with others, and with creation. And from that place, by definition, we are all impoverished. And so we are all in need of the healing and reconciliation through Jesus. And so when we think about the poor, I'm talking about me. You know, yes. we're talking about each of us. And so then what we'll often say is, but we're not all equally vulnerable. And so how does that resonate with you when you're thinking about Jesus-centered living and addressing issues of poverty? I love that important dualism that you just introduced, that important dynamic. Because I think if you lose either half of that conversation, you're in trouble. If you start the conversation on poverty from a place of us and themness, where mm-hmm. well, we're not broken or, or poor, we're trying to save those who are. Mm-hmm. you're headed down a dangerous road, maybe even innocently. I don't say that condescendingly yeah. or an insult, yeah. but that, that can be a place, especially for us in the West to start from is we actually think that this is a conversation about us exporting our perfection. And that's to your point, very dangerous. The first line in the Sermon on the Mount, I think we just mentioned it a couple minutes ago. And Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor mm-hmm. in spirit. He's identifying that we're all actually in this as mm-hmm. the ones who need him desperately. And so I think it's very important what you named. We need to enter into the conversation with the recognition that we are all in some sense poor and need to mm-hmm. recognize our poverty. And out of that can reach out to and care for others from a sense of like, I'm in this with you. We're in this together mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, but having said that, if we just stop there too, I think we're not paying attention to the fact that some of us have privilege. For sure. Right. And some of us have power that needs to be stewarded in ways that look like love. That's where I love your language on the second half of that description, where we need to acknowledge that not everyone's equally vulnerable, though. Mm-hmm. And again, I, that's very embedded in Scripture and in Jesus teaching through the parables of the banquet and other illustrations. It's very clear that there is a difference here. Mm-hmm. It's rooted in a sense of our understanding that we're all broken. But I love how you said that we're not equally vulnerable. And therefore, those of us with privilege and power and resources need to pay attention to how to use those well and realize we've been commissioned by a purely relational God as his plan A in the kingdom to affect change. So we have a role to play in helping distribute Mm -hmm. what he's given all of us, the privilege, the power, the resources to those who are more vulnerable. So I would just champion and stand behind the way you said that, Shalane. I really think that both and is an important way to to enter into the conversation on poverty. Mm -hmm. If you're listening today and you have some questions, I would invite you to email us at podcast at fhcanada.org so that we can continue this conversation. And Matt, as we continue, I'm curious, what does it look like practically when you think about being Jesus-centered and 
talk about seeking justice for people living in and experiencing, especially extreme material poverty, but all of us. I think there's a really important dynamic playing out in front of our own eyes in society at the at the moment we live in. And we can even just use the West as a focal point to illustrate this. There's, there's a display happening in front of us of what justice looks like when Jesus is not at the center and what it can look like when he is. As soon as we untether it from Jesus as Christians, because we don't expect that from people who are non-Jesus followers, right? Mm-hmm. But as Jesus followers, if we're serious about this and we start to untether our pursuit of justice or social justice from Jesus, all of a sudden it creates very real practical changes. We start to, we start to become more able to justify using anger as a motivation instead of using love as a motivation. We Mm -hmm. start to inevitably adapt the same kind of we're right and whoever the other is, is wrong. And so this becomes, this becomes a war of us against them Mm -hmm. and throwing the mud over the fence, both sides feeling like they're the ones who are in the right. They're they're actually just both playing the same game with different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't end up actually moving anyone more closely to the love of Jesus mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day, right? We become untethered from that. And we're not accountable to his principles and to his teaching and to actually walking in the way of love as we pursue so-called justice when we remove him from the center. And it also reduces our measurement tactics and it reduces the equipment we have because, you know, we're not seeing ourselves as people who can enter into a situation with eyes to see a multidimensional form of justice, like relational healing and reconciliation. We reduce it to economics and policies and other things, which I'm not saying aren't important, Mm -hmm. but staying centered on Jesus, it changes the whole paradigm. It changes the rules of the game of justice, and it changes the things we measure at the end of the day as well. So yeah, I think practically speaking, that allows us to enter into contexts all over the world, like you're kind of illustrating, with a whole different set of objectives in mind and and a freedom not to just be pursuing an ideological war mm-hmm. uh, where someone's on the other side of a fence that we're trying to convince something is wrong. No, we're entering into this, like you referenced, we're entering into this with a relational, mm-hmm. a relational agenda with a God at the center who cares about his people. Uh, and he cares about especially his people on the margins. I just think that creates all the difference for how we go about it. And we're seeing that play out in mm-hmm. front of us in very powerful ways in 2022. And I suspect this really plays into systemic poverty as well. I don't know if there's anything else you want to add specifically focused on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because when we put Jesus at the center of our pursuit of justice, it also reframes who the enemy is. Mm-hmm. doesn't it? And mm-hmm. it means that now that's like, that's mind blowing for me because it means again, now we're not identifying the oppressor as the enemy per se. We're identifying the powers and principalities and the systems mm-hmm. that underpin this whole thing as, as what needs to be renovated and in some cases torn down and rebuilt. Uh, I'm not suggesting that's easy and I'm not <laughs> suggesting that, you know, that, But that's a paradigm shift, right, for a Jesus follower who's got Jesus at the center of their pursuit of justice is imagine we could actually look at each other and not see the enemy, 
but see someone who's, as we said earlier, is equally infected by this sin problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our common enemy is the powers and principalities and bad ideas and systems that have got us to a place where there's oppression in the world at a systemic level. I don't think you're necessarily asking that question and seeing your quote unquote enemy the same way if Jesus is not at the center. And then he calls us to do the ridiculously hard work of loving our enemies. Mm-hmm. Again, that creates a whole other dynamic when, it, when you're working with an oppressor and the oppressed. If our goal is to love everybody here, it doesn't mean everybody's you know, without consequences for their actions. That's not my point. Right. But it, again, it's a paradigm shift that means the way we enter into the conversation is entirely, entirely different. Mm-hmm. Matt, I have the privilege of facilitating our Ending Poverty Together workshop where we, we dig into root issues of poverty. We talk about a lot of things. And one of the questions that I get asked on a regular basis actually is, but Jesus said, the poor will always be with us. So how can we move forward in dealing with poverty alleviation if the question's already been answered? We're never going to solve this problem. How, how would you respond? I'm looking for some new responses. <laughs> what ones have you heard? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've heard, I've heard um, things like, well, don't let that get you down. It's a process. You know, keep working at it. I've also heard someone say, it doesn't have to be this way. Going back to numbers, actually one of our recent guests was referring to that and said, we always focus on that verse, but if you back it up a little bit in the chapter, there's um, a verse about it doesn't have to be that way, but this is kind of the reality of where we're at. So what would you say to that question? Yeah, I I probably would have went first to that that point that we have to be careful about interpreting scripture in context Mm -hmm. of Jesus' overall arc. And anytime we take one particular point just out of that context, it's dangerous. It can be useful to kind of hold it up to a light and examine it and biopsy it. That's, that's healthy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the context of that scripture passage, I think is Jesus really reminding people. And then think, I think it's very related to our conversation today that if you think this is just about economic equality, mm-hmm. if you think this is just about sharing or selling your expensive perfume and getting enough money from it to give to the poor to create more economic equality, I think Jesus in his classically Jewish hyperbolic way, which was, mm-hmm. you know, that's the, that's the vernacular of the new covenant is saying, I think you're missing the point. I'm actually still the point in this, <laughs> right. like this. It, it, so it's it beautifully is fitting in with our conversation, Shalane. He's actually reminding us it's not actually about justice and poverty hmm. per se. It's about me and it's about glorifying God. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to help you see is that when you do that and when you immediate, when you turn yourself to me, I immediately care about mm-hmm. all those things deeply. They're at my at the at the core of who I am and what I'm teaching you to do. But if you miss the fact that it's about centering on me and instead you center on the pursuit of justice and you center on ending poverty, you're actually not going to achieve what you want to as well as you think you will. I think mm-hmm. I think that's what he's saying. And it's funny you mentioned that because in our family devotional time just last week we we read through that scripture. 
Okay. And we were talking with our daughter about what is he trying to say? Does he say he doesn't care about the poor? No, I think he's reestablishing what the center point is in the conversation. Mm. And from there, we're actually much more effective at, at accomplishing what we want. And, and he knows better than to send us on a mission of just doing a bunch of stuff without mm -hmm. him being at the center. And that's what he's trying to remind us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I, will, uh, I will incorporate that into our answers as we discuss it. Yeah, you've collected workshop. quite a basket, sounds like. So you can add yeah. that one to it if it's helpful. <laughs> That's right. Um, Matt, when you think about things going on in the world right now, I mean, this is a, a big question, but what's what's really on your heart right now? What What are things that are breaking your heart? What are things that are really stirring your heart? Um, how do you see Jesus calling you into or what do you see Jesus calling you into yeah there are a few things um one would be power dynamics something we mm. talk about a lot at Jesus Collective these days mm -hmm. just digging in and understanding what a Jesus-centered use of power looks like and how far from that use of power we veered in society mm. but even as a broader church and mm -hmm. even as kingdom ambassadors what does it look like to use our power in a more Jesus-like way? And how is that conversation at the root of injustices we continue to see in the world? How is it at the root of racism? How is it at the root of unhealthy mm. gender dynamics? How is it at the root of continued falls of leaders that we see in the churches mm. around us? That's a very that's very much something on my mind, on our mind, is the conversation around what a Jesus-centered use of power looks like. Mm. I think conversations around identity are on my mind and they're on our mind. We're hungry for the answer to who are we right now? Mm -hmm. What is our identity? Where does our value come from? Will someone see me and validate me in my identity? And again, how does the, how does the, the idea of centering our identity and rooting it in Jesus provide a beautiful answer and antidote to those questions and issues in mm -hmm. 2022 and beyond. And for the next generation who is wrestling with those questions of identity in such a strong way. So that would be another thing that's on my mind. I think the issue of engaging in increasingly secular culture is on my mind. My heart at once breaks for the perception that, you know, the church in the West is struggling. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's true in all corners, by the way. But at the same time, I think there's just incredible hope and opportunity that comes from that to break free from the shackles of cultural Christianity and actually get real and honest about engaging spiritually curious people with the gospel in fresh ways, because people are desperate for meaning. They're desperate for identity. They're mm -hmm. like they're desperate for justice. They're mm -hmm. desperate for peace. So those are some of the things that are on my, they're, they're encouragements for me. They're things that are puzzling and mysterious to me. They're things that are heartbreaking for me, but there, there are a few of the things that are on my, my mind. Hmm. I appreciate how you sit with these things and wrestle and don't try to come up with just some pat answers, quick answers, but that you, it sounds like you're really deeply engaging. And uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. It also sounds like we could have three more podcasts talking about <laughs> any one of those things. Absolutely. Uh, we are coming to the end of our time. As we're wrapping up, is there anything else that you would like to share? Any kind of closing thoughts that you might have? 
I would just love to say thank you. And in a very authentic way to you, to your, your ministry, there's so much pain in the world right now. We didn't get to, mm-hmm. to really talking about that, but mm-hmm. conflict around the world is, is rife. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously poverty is a huge function of that. Um, and I'm really just deeply grateful for organizations that are leading the way, teaching us what it means to engage in the work of justice and seeking an end to poverty, spreading the love of Jesus as we do that. So that if there's two minutes I could spend at the end, it would be to do that, to say thank mm-hmm. you and how much we appreciate that that work that's happening in the world and we're learning from it and we're with you in that. Mm, thanks, Matt. I appreciate that. I can imagine people listening today and saying, I, I want to know more about this Jesus Collective. How can people find that information? How can people find you? Where, where can we point them? Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, you can head to JesusCollective.com to our mm-hmm. website to learn more about our network and, and the movement that we're part of. You can find us on uh, social media, on Twitter or Instagram as well, if you look up Jesus Collective. And yeah, we're a pretty relational, accessible bunch. So I'm reachable at matt.miles at jesuscollective.com as well. And I love hearing from new new friends. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Matt. I really appreciate you taking time to be here and uh, sharing more about centering on Jesus. Uh, It's encouraging and inspiring and hopeful. So I really appreciate your time. Likewise, I appreciate uh, being asked to be on the podcast, Shalane. It was great talking with you today. To explore what your next steps could be or find out more about Jesus Collective and what other Canadians are doing about poverty, start by checking out fhcanada.org resources.